Amen. Let's turn to our confessional reading. Let's go to page 242 as we uh, read question and answer 92, which is that um, giving of the Ten Commandments, that quote essentially from Exodus 20. And so having worked through those Ten Commandments from question and answer 92, we go to the remaining question and answers of Lord's Day 34. It's question and answers 93, 94, and 95, beginning on page 242 in the forms and prayers. And so we'll begin with question 93. I'll say the question, let's together uh, say the answers. Question 93, how are these commandments divided? Into two tables, the first has four commandments teaching us how we should live in relation to God. The second has six commandments teaching us what we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That I, not wanting to endanger my own salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, sorcery, superstitious rites, and prayer to saints or to other creatures, that I rightly know the only true God, trust him alone, and look to God for every good thing, humbly and patiently, and love, fear, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I renounce all created things rather than go against God's will in any way. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. It's a confession we hold in common. Let us turn to our reading for tonight, which is from the first three verses of Exodus 20. What's sometimes called the, the preamble of the Ten Commandments in verses 1 and 2, and then the words of the first commandment in verse 3. Exodus chapter 20, page 77. Let us hear God's word. Exodus 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so far, the reading. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep yourselves from idols. Those are the last words of the Apostle John's first letter to the churches. And as an old pastor and apostle, John introduced that conclusion with the words, little children, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And there are so 
many idols. If we think in terms of a multiplication table without any ones or zeros, there is a multiplication of many different idols with relation to the very first commandment, and within each of those idols there is a multiplication of evils. If we think in terms of ancient mythology, we might think of the many-headed monster like the Hydra of Greek mythology. And so that when we think of the idolatry of how one breaks the first commandment, it's not enough to just cut off one form of idolatry. It's not enough to just say, well, I don't bow down to any of the gods of Egypt or of Canaan. No, there are, there are many heads to the monster of idolatry. And really it's in terms of the later versions of that Hydra beast. The later versions where if you cut off one head, two new heads spring up in its place. That's really what digging into idolatry is. That's really what understanding idolatry is. We see that wherever we can cut one idolatry off or whether we can understand what one idolatry is, there's really just two more forms to take its place. That is part of the depth of the first commandment. And that's um, how we're going to work through our points. We're just going to think about some of the many forms of idolatry, some of the many ways that the first commandment is broken. And we're going to work through it with this theme tonight, that idolatry is an evil which takes many forms. And our first point is going to be physical forms of idolatry. And then second point, thought forms of idolatry, uh, idolatry taking thought, active thoughts of idolatry. And then our third point is unthought forms of idolatry. Well, point one, brothers and sisters, physical forms of idolatry. Apis, Hecate, Set, Ukatik, Hathor, Sunu, Osiris, Newt, Ray, Isis. What is that? That is just ten of the many gods and goddesses of Egypt. That says nothing of the gods and goddesses of Canaan and within Canaan that had come to be many different sub-nations with many of their own idols and some of the same common idols. And it says nothing of any of the other surrounding nations in the ancient Near East. And really it was from one nation to another. We all have our pantheon of gods and goddesses. That is the situation. That is the world. That is the mindset into which God speaks and gives his first commandment saying, you shall have no other gods before me. There is only one God. And that goes back to what's sometimes called the preamble, what leads into all of the Ten Commandments, including the first commandment, I am. Yahweh, the Lord, you're gone. 
So when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, in some ways at this first level, this should have been an easy commandment. Don't bow down to all those gods and goddesses of Egypt. Don't bow down to all those gods and goddesses of Canaan. You know their names. You know what they look like. They each have their own form. Some of them half human, half animal, and all different kinds of things. You, you know what they look like. You know who they are. Moses has a court-level education about them. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them. And at this level, we think, well, this is simple enough. But what do we see? What is the reality that we see? We see again and again that God's chosen people from the chosen nation of Israel fall into the worship of the idols of their own day. Again and again, they bow down to the idols of Egypt. Again and again, they bow down to the idols of Canaan. Again and again, they pretend that these idols can be worshipped alongside of God. At, at various points, they even pretended that some of the female goddesses, or at least one or two of them, were married to the one true God. Again and again, they mix, they match, they worship every which one. People of God, what this demonstrates to us is not that they are complete fools because they fell, fell down and bowed gods which took literal carved physical forms. It proves that whatever the temptation of our own age that surrounds us, we are drawn to the evil that surrounds us. And so now today we are drawn to the idol's that surround us because any physical thing can become an idol. Question answer 95. Idolatry is having or inventing something, anything in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. I do not think that many of the ancient Israelites were tempted to worship baseball. But the only reason why they were not tempted to worship baseball is because baseball had not been invented yet. And I do not think many of us are tempted to worship Hathor but the only reason we're not tempted to worship Hathor is because I have to look at my notes to remember that name and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing it correctly. We are tempted to worship whatever consumes everyone around us. That is the physical form of idolatry. Now, there is the communal aspect then. We're going to be tempted to worship whatever people are worshiping, trusting, putting all of their uh, desire, all of their time, all of their intent into around us. There's also you know, sometimes something can become very personal. Sometimes we can make an idol out of something that 
people around us aren't making an idol out of, at least not many other people that we know of. There is uh, an example uh, which is almost a comical example which speaks to something that is eternally serious that comes from the life of uh, William Grimshaw. William Grimshaw was a much-loved rural minister in Yorkshire, England in the 1700s. And uh, as was common at that time, most households had one cow of their own. And um, a much-loved minister, many many accounts and anecdotes have come to us of of William Grimshaw from his many parishioners. And one of them is this, that uh, Reverend Grimshaw owned a cow, like many, many other people did at that time, one cow, his own cow for his own household. And... At one point in his life, he had a cow that was especially healthy and strong. It was just a really great cow. And uh, Reverend Grimshaw really liked his cow. But then a day came, and he realized that he did not just like his cow. He had really made an idol of his cow, and he could not pray without thinking about his cow. He couldn't really do anything without thinking about his cow. And so Reverend Grimshaw decided that he had to sell his cow. And so the first buyer comes along to the parsonage or or the manse or whatever they called it at that time in Yorkshire, England, and the first buyer comes along and is looking over the cow and sees this very strong and healthy cow and starts to think, well, there must be something wrong. There must be some hidden defect because who would who would sell such a strong and healthy cow? And then he says this to Reverend Grimshaw. What's, what's going on? What's the hidden defect here? And Reverend Grimshaw's reply was, no, no, there's no hidden defect. The problem is she follows me into the pulpit. What follows you? What consumes you? It may very well be one of the common things that consumes the people all around us. The God of technology, the God of certain pieces of technology, the God of athletics, the God of pleasure and wealth, the God of comfort. Are you consumed by any of these things? Do they follow you? What is it that fills in the blank of the something, the anything of question answer 95? What follows you into your prayers? That is your idol. That is one of your idols. That is one of the ways you break the first commandment. How do we fill in the blank? Whatever it is, let us repent of our idolatries. Let us seek to cut them out of our life. Do you need to be one of those weird people that uses a flip phone because you really can't use a smartphone without being consumed by it? Do you need to sell your cow? 
But people of God, such is such is the making of idols, such is the invention of idols in our life that we have some idols that really we can't get rid of. What if your what if your idol is your children? What if you worship the success of your children and being identified as a parent of successful children? Well, finally, what we need to do is we need to reorder our thinking. And this takes us into our second point, which is closely related to our first point, the thought forms of idolatry. The thought forms of idolatry. When Exodus 23 says that you shall have no other gods before me, the words before me are related to to the image of before the face of God. And whenever we worship anything, whenever we are trusted in, in trusting in anything, whenever we are setting our hopes upon anything, it is to sin before the very face of God, because God is everywhere. There is no sin that can hide from him, and he is always before us. Any breaking of the first commandment is a personal affront insulting God to his face, as it has been said. And this includes the very workings of our mind because God sees the very workings of our mind more clearly than we see the workings of our own mind. And so God demands complete worship demands the complete removal of all idols. Now, at this point, brothers and sisters, let us remember that this demand does not come to us in a vacuum. It comes to us from the God who has made us. It comes to us from the God who has made each and every person who has ever lived in his image. It comes from the God who has knit together in their mother's womb every person who has ever lived. It comes from the maker and sustainer of life. And it comes in a much more personal way than that. Who does God plainly speak his commandments to? He plainly speaks his commandments to his covenant people. He plainly speaks his commandments in the context of deliverance and salvation. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And this is, if we think back to that list of, of, of ten, um, ten Egyptian gods and goddesses that I gave earlier, that was not a random list. It was, it was a list giving names of, of some of the Egyptian idols that were associated especially with with each of the ten plagues. Because in the ten plagues, God systematically demonstrated his power over the idols of the day. He was systematically demonstrating that uh, that the god of the Nile, that the, that the goddess of life, and, and that the, the, the goddess and god of protecting your crops and all of those things, they do not stand. There is only one God. And I am the God 
who breaks down the authority and the and the power and the so-called satisfaction of anything that mankind would trust in and and I deliver you I brought you out of that slavery I broke down those idols God does it and that is why we can hear the weight of the Ten Commandments and we must hear the weight of the Ten Commandments. We must hear the first commandment knowing that we have broken this commandment. But we can hear the weight without being broken. Because it comes in the context of deliverance. It comes in the context of God who provides the Passover lamb and Brothers and sisters, we know who the Passover lamb is. The Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. And his blood is our deliverance. His obedience is our salvation. And so this is how the law of God must come to us. When we examine ourselves rightly, we know it's it's not just bowing down to Apis or Isis or any other idol of old in between. It's, it's, it's all of the idols of our own day, including all of the mindset idols of our own day and of our own heart. But all the ways that we break the first commandment. Our salvation was never going to depend upon our own obedience. Our salvation is in the God who delivers us. Our God is is the one who breaks the slavery and sends his son. And so surely, people of God, as we consider the God-man who came down from heaven to this earth to save us from our sins, we owe everything to him and brothers and sisters with that let's come into our third point unthought forms of idolatry in the church we sometimes make a summary of sin and divide it into two different kinds of sin and these are not necessarily directly scriptural terms but they are helpful terms And our first two points kind of blended together because they both related to what we sometimes call sins of commission. Sins that we actually commit. Actual words and deeds, actual building of idols, actual thoughts of trust in other things besides God. Those are all sins of commission. Acts we commit. Thoughts that we make against God by setting up other gods. But brothers and sisters, that does not get into the depth of the first commandment. Because to really think about the first commandment, we need to also think about what what we sometimes call sins of omission. What we omit to do, what we fail to do, what we do not do. And when we think about this, it is so hard for us to grasp what we owe to God. Maybe we can start to think about it 
if we think in human terms. Right? Because human relationships are visible. We see them. We can grab hold of them. And so if we give a couple of examples of, of, of the way that, uh, that a person uh, breaks down, fails to give love, fails to give honor in human relationships, that's just a beginning to start to understand what the sin of omission against God is. They're just small pictures to get us there. And so uh, what if... Uh, what if someone says, what if someone who is is married comes to you and says, I have I have I have no love for my faithful spouse. Or what if uh, somebody who is serving in the military and their their unit is 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 going on a mission for the rescue of captured civilians and the soldier says to you I have no commitment to my commanding officer I will not carry out the mission and you see because one of the idols of our day is to pretend that God does not exist or if God does exist, to pretend that he has no claim upon us, no relationship with us, no authority over us. The, domini the dominating mindset is, I do not owe anything to God. I do not owe any love to God. I do not owe any allegiance to God. And so the dominating mindset that surrounds us in this increasingly atheistic world is one which completely neglects the fact that we owe everything, every love and affection, every submission to him. Now we know this, but if you're like me, you probably hear it more than you meditate upon it. Because what summarizes so well what every thought we have should be is the first great commandment. And as those who are here in this church, I know you have heard the first great commandment many times. How many times have you meditated upon the depth of the first commandment? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind, and all your strength. The way the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 is that we must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought we have is to be ruled by obedience to God, willing obedience. Every affection of our heart is to be ruled, filled with love for God, 
every goal of our life is to be directed to the glory of God. We never fill this up. We, on this earth, will never fill up all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. We will be constantly breaking the first commandment as long as we are on this earth. We could reread question and answer 94, and that would be appropriate. But let's turn ahead for a moment to question and answer 115. Because we're looking at the first commandment, but also the preamble to all ten commandments. And there is this beautiful question and answer that looks back on all ten commandments on page 251 of the Forms and Prayers. Why, why should we pointedly try to get a little bit into the depths of the first commandment or any commandment? Why should we pointedly try to think about some of the many snapping evil heads of idolatry by which we break the first commandment? First, so that all our life long we may more and more come to know our sinful nature and thus more eagerly seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. We are always breaking the first commandment. Let us repent and seek forgiveness in the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And second, so that we may never stop striving and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that we may be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. If you watch a YouTube video watch a movie, read a book, observe anything. And when you're done, you think in terms of how can I take every thought captive to obedience of Christ? You're not being a prude. When you examine your whole life in this way, you are just beginning to understand your need and to understand what we must be brought into and to understand what we will be brought to. Because finally, 
our very affections will be remade. And we will no longer be constantly breaking the first commandment and all of the other commandments. In Christ, who has given us the commandments in the context of deliverance, because otherwise they would just crush us. Otherwise, to understand the commandments would only bury us in our guilt if we were really looking at them. We'd say it is it is not just a monster with many heads, and if you think you cut off one, two more come up. There is, I cannot do this. No, we cannot. But again, remember Christ, who not only saves us, but also will remake our very affections. And so let us little by little never stop striving more and more to give our whole heart to God and let us rejoice that after this life our very affections will be remade as we trust in him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, show us our guilt and lead us to be